Hello, and welcome to Never the Twins Shall Meet, a podcast hosted by twin sisters, separated by distance, but united by nerdiness. I'm your host, Pi. And I'm your co-host, Lulu. So it's been a little while since we recorded because I was out of town visiting relatives. And is there anything that you've been into lately that you'd like to tell our listeners about, Lulu? Well, I just finished reading In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado yesterday. It's a little hard to describe, but it's basically a literary memoir exploring the author's experiences with domestic abuse, kind of through the lens of different genres and also through the lens of the house that she experienced it in. It's very intense, but also really good. And I basically read it in like two sittings. I would definitely recommend it if you're interested in kind of like experimental nonfiction or memoir. On the total opposite end of the spectrum, I've also been reading my way through The Wicked and the Divine, which is a comic series written by Karen Gillan and illustrated by Jamie McKelvey. And it follows 12 young people who are reincarnated as gods. And for two years, they have unfathomable power and they basically worship like pop stars, but then they all die after two years. It's a really interesting exploration of like mythology and youth culture and fame and idols. I started reading it like several years ago, but fell off the bandwagon a little bit. So now I'm reading my way through the whole thing to finally finish it. And uh, it's very stressful because somehow, even though it's a comic in which the basic premise is that everyone will die, I am constantly shocked whenever bad things happen to the characters. Oh, I love Wickdiv. I've been meaning to finish that for ages. Maybe I'll get around to it someday. I have been into a lot of things since we last recorded. I'm currently reading The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri, which is the first book in a trilogy that's inspired by ancient India. And it has like evil empires and very angry lesbians and cool plant magic. And I love it so far. Oh man, I love Tasha Suri's other fantasy series, The Books of Amba. So I'm really excited for The Jasmine Throne. I'm glad to hear it's good so far. I have also been reading some comics and I branched out and read something other than X-Men comics. I know, shocking. So I read some DC comics, including Batman Under the Red Hood, which gave me a lot of feelings about Batman and Jason Todd. And then I read Suicide Squad Bad Blood, which was super fun and had a lot of really great villain characters and it was just all around a great read. And I'm also rereading Gotham Academy, which is this absolutely delightful, like spooky middle grade comic series about a bunch of kids attending boarding school school in Gotham and I love it with all my heart. Gotham Academy is so precious. It's kind of like the Scooby-Doo of the DC Comics universe and I, I miss it every day. I wish you would come back. Well, it's really good so far. I'm enjoying rereading it. I also saw a movie in theaters for the first time in what feels like centuries, and it was The Green Knight, which was this really amazing kind of surreal fantasy movie retelling of the King Arthur stories, and it was really great, and the cinematography was awesome, it was just like all around such a good movie. I am extremely jealous that you got to see The Green Knight. I have been waiting for it since like mid-2020. I I can't see it because it's not showing around here and also COVID rates are high where I am. So I get to just like live vicariously through you describing how good it is. Well, I hope my descriptions will do it justice. Anyway, we could sit here continuing to talk about my jealousy over Pi getting to watch The Green Knight for longer, but I think we should probably dive into what we're actually talking about this episode, which is These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. These Violent Delights is a young adult retelling of Romeo and Juliet set in 1920s Shanghai, and it reimagines the Capulet-Montague blood feud as a rivalry between two gangs, the Shanghainese Scarlet Gang and the Russian White Flowers, who are rival street gangs in Shanghai. Juliet Tsai and Roman Montagov are the heirs to their respective gangs, and they were once childhood friends, childhood enemies, childhood lovers, and then childhood enemies again, 
who are now forced to work together to stop a strange madness sweeping through Shanghai. There's lots of horror and enemies to lovers romance and historical atmosphere. And it's a really interesting reimagining of Shakespeare's classic. Also, not strictly relevant to the plot of the book, but Chloe Gong was really young when it was published, like a senior in college. And that absolutely blows my mind because it's an astoundingly good book. And I like, I cannot imagine writing something that good at her age. I can't imagine having the time management skills to write, edit, and publish a book in college. Like, it just is beyond me. I can, I can barely get enough sleep and do my homework. How could you write a book on top of everything? I know, it's pretty amazing. So, what is our previous experience with Romeo and Juliet? As anyone who has listened to some of our other podcast episodes knows, we really like Shakespeare. In fact, we're both huge Shakespeare nerds. Yeah, that's why I was interested in reading this book, because I really enjoy Shakespeare. And more importantly, I really enjoy seeing how people like reimagine and retell Shakespeare. I just think it's fun when people take these texts that have been around for hundreds of years and like put their own spin on them. Whether that's interesting stagings in movies or just retellings like this that change a lot of the play, but still have like sort of these common themes. So I was really intrigued when I heard about this because it seemed like a kind of fresh and interesting take on Romeo and Juliet with a cool setting. And I was excited that I ended up enjoying this as well. We have both seen multiple movies of Romeo and Juliet because we saw Romeo and Juliet, the 1996 movie directed by Baz Luhrmann, which was a masterpiece and you will not change my mind on that. I love it. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet is kind of like a fever dream, but I remember enjoying it. I've never actually read Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which... You can kick me off the podcast now. I know I'm a fake. I've just seen like various movies of it. I also saw, I think there was like one in 2013 starring Douglas Booth and Haley Steinfeld. But I mostly remember it kind of being more like a shampoo commercial than like a Shakespeare movie. <laughs> Everyone had lots of like long, very flowing hair. That's mostly what I remember from that movie. Anyway, the point being that we both have like kind of some background in Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, and that's why we were kind of intrigued to see how this retelling worked. Also, how could I forget to mention that we were both in an abridged production of Romeo and Juliet in middle school. Very iconic of us, I think. Yeah, all like 12 minutes. We, I think we were both friar. <laughs> oh, I was the messenger. You were the friar. It was a good time. It was a good time. Our legendary acting career cut short. So basically, we both have a lot of prior knowledge of Romeo and Juliet to draw off of, and we're like huge Shakespeare nerds. So we were both very curious about this retelling when it was first announced, and luckily it did not disappoint. We thought it was really good and really fun and really interesting and just like all around a great fresh retelling. So unlike some retellings of Romeo and Juliet, the actual plot of these violent delights diverges a lot from the original play. It has the same basic setup with these two rival groups and two people who fall in love despite being enemies, but the plot is really different because of the setting and the idea of this monster sweeping through Shanghai that people have to fight against. The characters can be pretty easily lined up with characters from the original play, with Juliet obviously being Juliet, Roma being Romeo, his cousin Benedict being Benvolio, his friend Marshall being Mercutio, and stuff like that. But other than that, the plot is almost totally original, and it's also not as focused on the romance as the original story is, because Romeo and Juliet is a pretty romance-heavy play, and Roma and Juliet have much bigger problems facing them right now. Like the fact that there's this weird plague sweeping through Shanghai that causes people to tear apart their own skin and mutilate themselves. And there's also murmurs of a creepy monster living in the rivers around Shanghai, which, you know, 
take priority above romance a little bit. Not to mention the very real-world history problems of colonization in Shanghai and all of the different political groups and everyone who's out to try to control the city, which also gets mentioned a lot in the story due to the fact that Roma and Juliet are both heirs to their family's gangs who are heavily involved in the politics and running of the city. There are definitely some parts of it that are really similar to the original play, with some scenes that are pretty clearly like an homage to Romeo and Juliet, such as Roma and his friends crashing a masquerade ball where Roma and Juliet dance together, although it has much more like angry rival tension than like budding romance, and it was very delightful. There's also a balcony scene between Romeo and Juliet, but it's very much not about them falling in love because they have a prior history together. I thought the balcony scene was really fun because... What this book does a lot is that it really like takes the rival family aspect and turns it up to 100 because there are these rival gangs, but they're also in Shanghai, which is like rife with tension right now. And instead of the balcony scene being like romantic, Juliet's like, "Uh, I think we need better security. How did you like get on my balcony? (laughs) The main thing that I think diverges the character relationships in this is that Roma and Juliet have a prior history together because along with being very well-known heirs of famous rival gangs who have like hated each other for years. They were also friends when they were young teens and fell in love only to be split apart by a huge betrayal that has left both of them kind of bitter and hating each other and the fact that they have those past together they can't forget. Whereas Romeo and Juliet in the original play have obviously never met until the scene where they do. And I thought that was a really interesting aspect because I think enemies to lovers is a very fun idea. But in this case, it's kind of more of a enemies to friends to lovers to enemies to reluctant allies to lovers thing which is very complicated but I think Chloe Gong pulls it off really well and in every scene that Roma and Juliet are in you can really feel all this simmering tension that they have with each other not just because of their family's histories but also the history they have with each other and it's really great. Yeah I really enjoyed that it's not just that they're enemies who fall in love it's that like they have this shared history where there was kind of this relationship and like moments of tenderness between them but then there was this giant betrayal and now they hate each other even more because that is in fact my like favorite niche character dynamic (laughs) i love it when people are in love and now they hate each other even more and then they're gonna fall in love again very good tension i also feel like what i liked about this retellings attitude towards like the romance and the character setup was that I feel like Romeo and Juliet gets a lot of slander as a play about like idiots in love and like they're just like 14 year olds who are like I love you more than anything in the world and they're dumb and then they die but I don't know I I feel like it's also a play about like these two characters that are sort of stuck in this bad world that leads to their end like it's not a story about how they're dumb teenagers in love it's a story about how like they're stuck in this useless bloody rivalry that just brings everyone pain and they're victims of this cycle of violence and I feel like having them be part of rival gangs in this city that also has like a lot of ongoing tension makes those themes work really well because it's not just that they're in love it's also that like there's a lot of tension why they can't be together I don't know I thought that worked really well Romeo and Juliet gets a lot of slander but it's actually a complex play Yeah, and Roma and Juliet don't just have outside forces that are keeping each other apart. They also feel like they can't trust the other one because of this big betrayal that happened when they were younger. And they despise the fact that they have to work together to stop this monster, which leads to like a really interesting character dynamic of these characters who have to work together but really don't trust each other. And they have personal reasons for distrusting each other as well as larger ones about the culture that they live in. And so it was really fun to read about. It's just, the dynamic is just, it's it's chef kiss. It is simply superior. That is my exact favorite dynamic. (laughs) So although there's definitely a lot of similarities to the original play, such as 
the rival houses or their parents being referred to as lords and ladies because they're in charge of gangs or a plot involving a potion that can make you fake being dead. The actual plot of these violent little lights is almost entirely new and made up by Chloe Gong, which was really fun because it meant that even I, who can basically recite the entire plot of multiple Shakespeare plays from my memory, didn't always know where the story was going and it felt like there was really a lot of plot twists and interesting directions that the story went in and that can be kind of rare in a retelling, especially if we're retelling of something as famous as Shakespeare, where pretty much all the plot beats have made their way to popular culture somehow. Yeah, I agree. That was what also impressed me about this because it's not just a Romeo and Juliet retelling set in 1920s Shanghai. It's like a Romeo and Juliet retelling set in 1920s Shanghai that has a very original plot that diverges pretty far from Shakespeare's original play. And I actually did hear somewhere that her original conception for this wasn't necessarily as a Shakespeare retelling, but when Chloe Gong was sort of like working on the book in its initial stages, she was like, oh, there's two rival families. It would make sense for this thematically to be like a Romeo and Juliet retelling, and then kind of worked that into the framework, which I think is kind of interesting because it could have been an original story, but I think there would have been sort of parallels anyway. So the fact that it sort of leaned into them is fun, but it doesn't lose its original aspect. And the original aspect is basically like we mentioned, this plot line that there is this madness sweeping through Shanghai and no one knows what exactly is causing it, but it's gross and terrible and the characters have to like work together to stop it and find the source of it. This book is technically historical fantasy, but I feel like there are definitely parts where it really leans into horror as well. And I wasn't really expecting that because when you read a book description that's like, oh, fantasy Romeo and Juliet are telling, you're like, oh, fun. And not like, oh, this book is going to have a mysterious infectious madness that makes people kill themselves, which was definitely pretty dark. Yeah, I agree. This is marketed as historical fantasy, which makes sense because there are some fantasy elements. But I really do feel like it's more of a horror thing and it, rather than just like straight up fantasy because the fantasy elements are, are pretty terrifying and there's definitely some like gross moments in this book. There's also some medical horror involved in them like trying to figure out where this monster is coming from and how they stop people from dying. And I was not expecting that to be honest. There are definitely a few scenes that I found actually kind of disgusting like in an interesting way but definitely very gross. Oh my god, reading this book in a pandemic. <laughs> really really hit different because it's basically the plot is kickstarted when people in Shanghai start like tearing out their own throats with no apparent reason and it becomes obvious that this is kind of like an infection that's like jumping from person to person and causing this madness so there's like a plot line about people trying to get a vaccine and like plot lines about people trying to avoid infections and I was just like oh this is a little too real I don't know how to feel about this Oh yeah, every time the narration mentioned Roma or Juliet passing a sign that says like, get vaccinated today, stay safe from the madness, I was like, oh no, this is weirdly relatable. I don't want to be related to the situation right now. I and know, yeah. it's like, ish. Things that hit different. Um, the original play is obviously kind of violent, but I think these violent delights brings it to a new level just because of the kind of horror element and the original plot, which was definitely kind of gross, but also very fascinating because you're really curious about where is this monster coming from? How did it end up in Shanghai? How do they stop it? How do they cure people? So it's a really good way to drive the plot forward and not just have the retelling of the original plot as well. Yeah, and it's sort of horror, but it's also a little bit sciencey as well because the characters are treating it like an actual epidemic and trying to find a cure and trace it to the source. And it turns out that it's linked to these like bugs that bite people and infect them, which means there are some like gross medical dissection scenes. I don't know. I feel like a lot of this book could have just been averted if they had like industrial strength bug spray in 1920s Shanghai. Do you agree? 
I think I do agree. But I mean, there was that kind of fun scene where they realize that the bugs get in people's hair and infect them. But Juliet, being a 1920s flapper, has put so much like product in her hair to make it curly that the insects can't get on her head, which was kind of funny, but also kind of horrifying. But I thought it was quite clever. Yeah, that was clever. So I went into this expecting it to be a kind of like maybe a bit bloody, but definitely like a fantasy retelling with like a cool setting because I haven't read any books set in 1920s Shanghai before, even though it's obviously a really interesting time period. Most 1920s set media tends to be in either America or England. And when it started getting into the horror stuff, I was really not expecting it, but I thought it worked really well. And Chloe Gong was great at kind of drawing out this terrifying tension of the characters not knowing where this madness is coming from or when it will strike or how they can stop it. So even though the book is really long, it's like 430 pages, every page is full of like so much anticipation because you want the characters to find out what's going on and stop it. It is a very stressful book. I agree. In fact, I'm so stressed that I think we should move on to talking about the romance aspect. Yes, please. Okay, so basically this book is, if you're going to describe it in kind of a trope way, which people love describing young adult romance in like trope ways, so I'm going to do it. It's enemies to friends to lovers to worse enemies to reluctant allies to lovers again. So you might have something like enemies to lovers, which sort of describes the relationship dynamic where characters are on opposite sides of a conflict, but they find some common ground and some like attraction sparks between them and they get together. Or you might have something like friends to lovers where characters are friends and then there's kind of like a romance that blooms between them. But sometimes you can like mash together these tropes and create like a very elaborate relationship arc like in this one. The original Romeo and Juliet is a pretty classic enemies to lovers storyline because they're from rival families and these families hate each other even if they can't really remember why. It's still obviously a thing and yet Romeo and Juliet fall in love despite this. But I feel like Chloe Gong takes the relationship dynamic and ups it and makes it even more dramatic than it was before. Right, because like we said, there's this prior history of friendship that then turned into a romance, which was then shattered by a betrayal, but no one really knows about this history between them because they were sort of secretly friends and then romantically together for a really brief period in their early teens because they sort of like understood each other because being, you know, the teenage heir to a gang in Shanghai is not a particularly common life experience. But when they were like 15 or so, they sort of privately became friends together and got along, but then they were sort of torn, torn apart by this betrayal and now hate each other more than ever. But as they can sort of come together to work together to like trace the source of this madness, they sort of have to acknowledge their history and sort of work through their relationship and whether they can still trust each other. What I thought was interesting about this dynamic is that Roma is the one who betrayed Juliet due to the pressure of his family and then wanting to like get at the rival gang somehow. So Juliet is the one who feels like a huge amount of bitterness and anger and betrayal at this, whereas Roma is mostly just really sad that this relationship that he cared about so much is something that was broken apart by the tensions between their families, which creates an interesting contrast between their point of view characters because they don't have the same feelings on how their relationship ended. Juliet is like extremely angry about it, justifiably angry, whereas Roma feels like a lot more nostalgic about the way things used to be and kind of wishes they could go back to it somehow, even while also acknowledging that he can't because of the things that his family did to Juliet's family. Much drama. And that's not even counting the beginning of the book where the characters have to work together to like understand where this madness is coming from and how they can save both of their gangs because they're trying to have a 
business relationship between two people who just trust each other, but they're like, they're going to work together. It's going to be very teeth clenched teamwork, but we'll get it done. And they can't seem to ignore this past between them. So it's really satisfying to read these scenes with these characters who had this history together that was broken apart and they're trying really hard not to become close once again but they're kind of failing because they still have this connection and it was just super fun to read about yeah it was fun because roma spends a lot of time yearning and juliet just spends a lot of time being like i do not want to be attracted to this boy anymore i am not going to acknowledge the fact that he is hot it's great i love juliet yeah i really liked her as a character I feel like they were very good foils to each other. And I like that she is like this kind of ambitious, tough heroine who always carries like lots of concealed weapons everywhere and like genuinely kind of wants power and a place in the Scarlet Gang. I really liked that Juliet is unapologetically mean and ambitious because I feel like that's kind of rare for a female protagonist in a young adult novel. And if there is a character who's unapologetically mean and ambitious, they're often antagonistic towards the actual one. So it was really fun to read about Juliet just being this like badass heir to a gang who really unapologetically wants to be in charge of this gang someday and is kind of like ruthless and is willing to do whatever it takes to protect her family and friends. It was just really fun to read about because she was such a compelling character. You could understand where she was coming from and you were kind of rooting for her even when she was doing these kind of like objectively ruthless or awful things sometimes like threatening people or almost killing people or carrying around like a lot of knives just in case she needs to stab someone. And as we have been over on this podcast, I do love a good girl with knives, and these wild delights definitely delivers on that aspect. By contrast, Roma is a pretty different character from Juliet, because due to his relationship with her in the past, he's kind of lost his father's respect and favor a long time ago. So although he's in name the heir to his father's gang, he isn't really in practice, and he's a lot softer than Juliet. He only wants to be part of the White Flowers in order to protect those that he loves, like his friends Benedict and Marshall or his younger sister Alisa. So he doesn't have the same kind of hunger for power that Juliet does, which meant that he was a really good foil to her character. Yeah, I mean, there's literally a line at one point that, like, I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically, like, if Roma could just move out to the countryside and retire there with his family, he would, whereas Juliet genuinely wants to be part of the Scarlet Gang, and she has to kind of fight for her place in it, because she has a cousin named Tyler, who's obviously the equivalent of Tybalt, who is a guy and kind of wants her place in the gang, and because she's a girl, she has to be sort of, like, extra ruthless and clever in order to keep her place and kind of prove that she's worthy of her position, But she also has this sort of interesting aspect to her backstory where her family sent her to America, specifically New York City, I think, to be educated. So she grew up outside of Shanghai and she sort of feels like she doesn't belong in either America or in Shanghai. So that was a really interesting aspect to the character because Juliet is a character who is very aware of like race and history and tension and the place that she belongs and doesn't belong. Because unlike a lot of members of her family, She wasn't raised in Shanghai for her whole life, so she knows kind of how Westerners think, but she also doesn't quite fit in at home, which I thought was a really interesting aspect to the character. Yeah, I feel like a lot of times in popular media, the 1920s was kind of depicted as like this glitzy, glamorous decade full of flappers and parties and like champagne and the Great Gatsby, but through the character of Juliet, it also kind of explores some of the 
darker underbellies of that time period, like the racism and misogyny, or the fact that all of these Western countries like France and England are trying to get a piece of Shanghai and control it as much as possible. And I really liked that because it makes the world feel very lived in, and it wasn't just an idealized version of the 1920s, it was a version of the 1920s that was basically real except for the monster roaming the streets. So it was really interesting to read about, especially because I don't know a lot about Shanghai during that time period, so it was really fascinating to read about this place that was like a real time in history but doesn't get a lot of focus in Western media. Yeah, I really liked that because the main antagonist for this book is kind of this fictional fantasy horror monster and the plague that it spreads, but there's also a lot about imperialism and the way that France and Britain are both sort of trying to carve up chunks of Shanghai and sort of the way that the monster is exacerbating existing tensions within Shanghai, like the communists versus like the French versus the Russian versus the British versus local Chinese people. And the fact that it's very much playing with like the actual historical setting and intentions of that time period, I really liked because I enjoy it when historical fiction like really digs into beyond just the aesthetic of a time period. Like you said, the dark underbelly, which I especially enjoy when people do it with the 1920s because it is such a kind of like glitzy, glamoury era with like flappers and wild parties, but also there's like so much dark stuff going on and it's also squished between two world wars that it's really this era of like contrast of parties and rich people, but also like imperialism and racism and the living threat of war and economic instability. I think it's also worth mentioning that the version of Paris in this book, which is Juliet Souter that she's supposed to marry instead of Roma, is not engaged to her, but he's like this white English guy called Paul who really aggressively pursues Juliet, not only because she's the heir to a gang that he wants an in with, but also because he kind of feels like he deserves to like have a relationship with her. And he's kind of definitely portrayed as like the figurehead of imperialism because he and his family are trying to come into Shanghai and get a piece of it and get rich and make an alliance with all the gangs there that have like spent all this time building up their power and they don't want to share it with the English but the English are going to come in anyway and the narrative definitely portrays Paris slash Paul as like an unapologetically bad person who's like the figurehead for all these western powers that are trying to come in and take control of Shanghai during that time period which I thought was really interesting because in the original play Paris is just like the other guy that Juliet is supposed to marry, but in this case he has a lot of influence on the plot and he's trying to have him in with Juliet's family's gang and get power and money from that and they're not having any of it because they've spent all this time building up their money and power without the influence of westerners and they don't want the English people to come in and take control of them. This is a Paul Dexter hate podcast. We do not like Paul Dexter. (laughs) We do not. Roma is also white, but his family are a group of Russian immigrants that moved to Shanghai like several generations beforehand so they're pretty well integrated into the society of Shanghai and they're not really quite seen as interlopers in the same way that Paul and his family is although they're obviously not as much of a part of society as say Juliet's family are. I did enjoy the way that this book sort of builds up like the families and the people in the Scarlet Gang and the White Flowers because Romo and Juliet are both sort of like part of this trio of friends In Juliet's case, she has her cousins Kathleen and Rosalind. Rosalind is obviously presumably based off of Rosaline from Romeo and Juliet, even though she doesn't really fit the same narrative purpose. And Kathleen is an original character. So I just kind of like that Juliet had like her little own girl gang to keep her back. And then Roma has his cousin Benedict, who's obviously an equivalent to Benvolio, and their friend Marshall, who is obviously Mercutio. So I sort of enjoyed that not only are Roma and Juliet both representing the two sides of this conflict, we sort of get a sense of like, 
the family members and friends that are part of the different gangs. Also, both of these trios of friends have really great banter. Like, I got the sense that while I was reading the book that Chloe Kong just must have had a really good time writing the scenes between these characters because they've all known each other for such a long time. Even when Juliet was in New York City, her cousins would write her letters and, like, Roma and Benedict and Marshall have basically grown up together. So they have this very tight bond with each other and they're, like, not afraid to call each other out on their problems. And, like, there's a lot of really fun banter between them. They're very funny characters when they're hanging out with each other and not having to deal with rival gangs and evil monsters sleeping in the city so I just had a lot of fun reading the scenes between them even though the whole time I was like in the original play Benedict and Mercutio both die is Chloe Gong going to do this I don't want him to do it I'm attached to them I like these characters I know I liked Benedict and Marshall and Kathleen and Rosalind and I was just like hmm I feel like the only person in this book who's really safe is Rosalind if we're going by the original play which was just kind of hanging over me the whole time I guess we'll see how that goes in the sequel also, Chloe Gong added a bit of diversity that's not present in the original play, obviously, because Juliet's family is, you know, obviously Chinese, and her cousin Kathleen is trans, and Roma's friend Marshall is gay, and, like, maybe he's going to date Benedict at some point. I would like them to date, but they haven't gotten together yet. I have never read Romeo and Juliet or, like, studied it, but I take a lot of Shakespeare classes and I hang out with a lot of Shakespeare nerds and people really like the idea of Mercutio and Benvolio being gay, so I'm glad Chloe Gong picked up on that common thread. I don't really know where it came from, because I haven't read the original play, but it's just something that people enjoy, so I'm like, good for them. We have another layer of romantic tension in the background. Well, I have read the original play, and from what I remember, Benvolio and Mercutio are just kind of like those two guys, and then Benvolio was like pretty distraught when Mercutio dies, as everyone else is, so... You know, I thought it was interesting and it kind of gives the characters a bit more to do than just follow Roma around and like help him solve the murders happening in Shanghai because although Roma and Juliet are the main narrators of the book, there are also some other point of view characters such as Kathleen, Rosalind, Benedict, Marshall, and Roma's younger sister Alisa who is like 12 and spends all of her time climbing around in the rafters of buildings and spying on people so her point of view is always fun. I like your point that it kind of gives the characters more to do in the background because I do feel like it did a good job of giving them all kind of distinct backgrounds and motivations and the stuff going on. Like Benedict and Marshall have their sort of like will they won't they romance and also their own investigation into plague and Rosalind has a bit of a conflict where she wants her family to see her more as just a cabaret dancer because she's really good at dancing and she's really pretty, but she feels that people only see her as like a pretty face. And then Kathleen, who I think is sort of a budding communist, also has sort of her own tensions within the family and her own backstory. So I just enjoyed that it felt like the cast was fleshed out because there's a lot of things you could say about Romeo and Juliet the play, but it's not really an ensemble cast story, as you can probably tell from the title. So I did sort of enjoy that the side characters are sort of fleshed out and given their own little interactions and backgrounds. Romeo and Juliet also both have pretty different relationships with their parents which I appreciated because Juliet might be a girl and therefore faces like some discrimination towards the idea of her being the heir to her family's gang. Both her parents are pretty supportive of it and they're like very proud of their murder daughter whereas Roma doesn't have his father's favor anymore because of his relationship with Juliet and the fact that he's kind of seen as like weak and not ready to inherit his father's gang. So it was interesting to see the contrast between these characters who on the surface have really similar backgrounds, but in practice, their family dynamics are really different. I think one thing that this book really nails is the atmospheric 
setting of historical Shanghai. It felt really well-researched and well-described and like I got a really good sense of what it was like. It's sort of basically its own character in of itself. Like, you know, there's Roma and there's Juliet and there's Benedict and then there's Shanghai. And I just felt like as a setting, it was really well-utilized. I agree. I think that the setting is maybe one of the strongest things in the book. It was definitely what originally drew me to the idea of reading it because I've read a fair number of books set in the 1920s, but I've never read anything set in 1920s Shanghai. So it was really interesting to learn a bit more about this time period through the lens of this kind of like fantasy Romeo and Juliet retelling was very much grounded in reality, like the gangs that Romeo and Juliet are part of were obviously not real historical gangs, but they were apparently based on similar ones that existed in history. And a lot of the tensions between nationalists and communists and different political parties and foreign powers in Shanghai that are constantly in the background of the book were also a thing in real history. So I agree. I think the sense of atmosphere and the setting was one of the strongest things in this book. It was really intriguing, even from like page one, which begins at a cabaret owned by Juliet's family that's like suddenly interrupted by this man dying in the middle of this place that's supposed to be all about glamour and having fun and partying. And like even from there on, it just keeps on having this really good atmosphere and sense of setting. Okay, now that we've talked about like coherent analysis stuff, can we just scream about the ending a little bit? Because it was really mean. Yes, I think we're allowed to. So the thing about the end of this book is that Romeo and Juliet is like obviously one play and like it's split into one act, but like you perform it all at once. Whereas These Violent Delights is part of a duology. And so that means there is a really big cliffhanger ending. And there's gonna be a second book. So there's a lot of setup for that. And we know that there's stuff that won't get wrapped up until the end of that. And it's one of those books where you read it and you're like, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. Oh, good. It looks like they're wrapping things up. And then the author just throws another twist at you at the very end. And you're like, oh boy, oh, this is going to be bad, isn't it? Yeah. So the thing is, like we said, there are some scenes th throughout the book that you can see as coming from the original play, such as the part where Roma and Julia dance at a masquerade ball. And in this case, like at the very end of the book, they have the scene where Mercutio is like killed by enemies of his family and there's like the a plague on both your houses thing and that's kind of where the book ends there's a lot of the play that's left to go and it kind of remains to be seen whether or not these scenes will be incorporated in the sequel also in an interesting twist marshall doesn't actually die juliet fakes his death because she has to prove to her cousin that she's like tough enough to kill a member of the rival gang because Tyler believes that she's become like weak and has been influenced by enemies and is maybe having a relationship with Roma which is making her weak and not fit to rule the family so she fakes Marshall's death but everyone thinks that he's dead which was very stressful because I had spent the whole time being like well I feel like this is a Romeo and Juliet retelling but also maybe it won't be as sad as it was in the original play and then instead of just straight up killing off Marshall Chloe Gong came up with this interesting twist where everyone thinks that he's dead but he isn't actually i thought he was dead for several pages and it was a very terrible experience because it's basically like juliet fakes his death so well that including the reader everyone thinks that he is dead and then it's not revealed that he's actually alive until the very end and i really thought he was dead there for a minute and it was very stressful <laughs> i liked him i became fond of side characters in this book very fast and he was one of them also, it means that there's a really interesting setup for the sequel because at the start of the first book, Juliet hates Roma for apparently betraying her. And at the end of this book, Roma hates Juliet for apparently killing his friend because he doesn't know that Marshall is still alive. Like the only person who knows that is Juliet, which means that 
it's being set up for like a really good dramatic reveal in the sequel and i personally can't wait for that part and benedict thinks marshall is dead this is so terrible plus i think it's a good contrast because like we said roma is a much softer character than Juliet, which I really liked because I feel like sometimes in uh, romance between a guy and a girl, like maybe the guy is like the hard, tough one and the girl is like more emotional. Whereas in this case, it's kind of the opposite. But Marshall's apparent death at the end of the first book definitely seems to be hardening Roma a lot towards Juliet and kind of is maybe setting up to make them a bit more like ruthless or angry at her. So I'm very curious how that will go because Roma's not a naturally angry or hateful person. But like the girl that he was in love with just apparently killed his best friend in front of him. So who knows where that will go. Also the reveal that she betrayed the location of his mother to her gang. And then they went and assassinated Roma's mother at the very end. And you're just like, oh, wow, this is not just one betrayal. This is like multiple piling up. The reason that Juliet hates Roma is because he leaked information about the security of her house which led to his gang like sweeping in and killing a bunch of people including Juliet's childhood nurse sorry nurse in this adaptation you did not live very long and so then we find out that Juliet retaliated by telling her family where Roma's mother lived and so then she got assassinated and it's just like this whole conflict of like back and forth an eye for an eye and by the end of the book, it's honestly seeming kind of impossible that these families could ever reconcile just because there's so much bad blood between each other. It's very stressful. I would just like them to all get vaccinated and to hang out and like for Benedict to know that Marshall is alive. Well, Juliet's vaccinated because she got like the science-y, magic-y vaccine that keeps you safe from the insects at the very end of the book. But Roma's not so safe and neither is anyone else really. It's so stressful. I'm glad the sequel is coming out soon. Like, it was very hard to read a book set during a pandemic, and I don't see myself, like, reading, like, lots of other books that deal with plagues, but I really am going to have to make an exception for Our Violent Ends, because I just need to know how it's going to end, even though, obviously, going off of the title, I'm probably not going to be very happy. I know. I want to think that maybe Chloe Wrong would be nicer to her characters than Shakespeare was, but also, considering the amount of trauma that I went through in this book, I don't think I should underestimate her. It's like, I feel like maybe Marshall and Benedict are safe just because they end in such a bad place at the end of the first book that surely she wouldn't continue to be cruel to them in the sequel. But Roma, Roma, I don't know. He seems like he's in danger. What I'm really curious about is that there are some parts of this book that are original and then there are some that are pretty obviously based off of the original play. And a lot of stuff that happens in the original play hasn't happened in this series yet. Like, Juliet hasn't been forced to marry Paul, she hasn't faked her death, Romeo hasn't been banished, and there hasn't been like the whole mix-up of each one thinking the other one is dead, and so I'm curious if those elements will come into play in the sequel at all, and like if so, how Chloe Gong will work it into the story, because one thing that I found really fun about this is that it has such an original plot that when there are nods to the original thing, like the balcony scene or the drug that makes you fake being dead. It kind of feels like a clever little Easter egg to the original story. And I'm curious if it will stay that way or if the sequel is going to like maybe be a little bit more familiar and have some more plot beats. I'm not really sure, but I'm curious where it will go. Yeah, I am very curious. In the meantime, I feel like the entire cast of these Violent Delights should just stock up on some really strong bug spray. Very much agreed. With that, we've been Never the Twins Shall Meet. If you would like to keep up with our further podcasting misadventures, you can find our website at neverthetwinsshallmeet.com 
Follow us on Twitter at NeverTwinsCast, on Instagram at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet, or shoot us an email at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet at gmail.com.